How's everybody today? You look doing okay? It's good to see some of you. Haven't seen you in a while. We're looking forward to the time we were talking about that this morning in our elders' prayer time this morning. That be glad when we can just all gather back together again and everybody feels secure and safe and comes back out to be with us. I want to encourage you to just keep wearing your masks and coming on, okay? Um, uh, just some time for us to all to get back, I believe. So just want to ask you to participate in that. Back, and I've told you uh, my experiences in college and seminary before, but back when I first went to Bible college, it was back in the 70s, and I uh, had so many questions. I went into college with so many things that I was questioning and wanted to know about in my little church that I was attending back in North Carolina. The pastor just wasn't able to adequately help me to answer questions. I was beginning to ask things that uh, he just didn't feel comfortable trying to deal with. And I can remember when I went into the classrooms of the college there and began to study, and it was just like a sponge. I was just uh, really learning so much and making changes in my life and beginning to obey the Lord in areas that I hadn't before and beginning to pray more. And um, I, I was just growing, I thought, you know, just leaps and bounds. But I, I noticed after a while that I, in retrospect, really, that I really didn't have a whole lot of time for people. I was busy studying, busy with my activities, busy busy with my future. But if you were to ask me, well, how much time are you spending with people as far as ministering to people in the community or whatever, trying to lead people to Christ or that sort of thing? I wasn't. I wasn't. And so um, it wasn't until about the last couple of years that I was there in Florida when I began to pastor a small church. It was just a very small little church. met in a house almost. Uh, they had converted it a little bit and had a few seats. But um, it was not until then that I really began to to understand that, you know what, you've got to leave the halls of the Bible college someday and you're going to have to deal with people. And you're going to have to learn how to deal with problems and issues and sin and all of that sort of thing. And that was quite a, an awakening for me, but I had to learn to minister. And as I look back on that time, I um, have come to the conclusion that, and this I'm sure is probably true of some of you, um, I was very religious, you know, in Bible college, studying the Bible, praying and all of this, you know, doing the things that Christians ought to do. I was probably a little bit too religious. Now, you may be thinking, golly, what do you mean? How can somebody be too religious? I mean, that's what preachers preach about and that sort of thing. Well, let me clarify. What exactly am I talking about when I use the term religion? Well, our religion is, is all of the activities or any activity that we do that we do with the intention of pleasing God. Um, you know, we come to church because that's part of our religious practice. We pray before our service because that's part of our religious practice. Um, it all goes into our faith, you know, our religious beliefs and our religious practices. Now, I'm trying to explain ahead of time because this is going to be a little bit confusing here at the beginning. But what I want you to understand is this. If you were to ask me what is the opposite of a religious person, I would say to you, a spiritual person. Now, what I mean by that is this, that we, we all can fall into the habit of doing our religious duties 
and it almost becomes like rote memory. In other words, we just do it because we've always done it. You know, we get up on Sunday morning and come to church because that's what we've always done. We can give our, have our quiet time because that's what we've always done. And a lot of us as believers fall into that trap. Now, the opposite, I believe, is that there is what I term a spiritual person in the sense that they're being led of the Spirit, and it's not just their own efforts, their own practice that they've gotten into, their own habits. Now, there's a balance, okay? And then we're gonna, I'm going to explain this to you as we go through this. But there's a balance because a lot of the things that we do as believers, we do because we formed good habits, um, we get up in the morning and we may have a time set aside for prayer, and that's a good habit. But it can also become just something we do without any spiritual significance to it. You follow me? And that's true of a lot of the things that we do as Christians, as, especially as we grow older. We, have, we look at ourselves and we realize that we have fallen into the trap of being religious, but not necessarily spiritual in the sense that the Spirit of God is not leading us into these things. And a lot of times we do these things not with the right motives, the right intent, or what have you, but we do them anyway. So that's what I'm heading with this, that sometimes I think we can be too religious. Now, I bet you that if you were honest with yourself that you would probably say, yeah, that, that sounds like me sometimes. Because I find you know, that in my life that I've been religious but not necessarily led of the Lord to do the things that I'm doing and I've let a lot of things go unchecked, um, perhaps undealt with and part of that is my relationship to people. That's the easy one for us to neglect. It's easy for us to study the Bible or come to church or do things like that but dealing with people is pretty hard and so we tend to put that one off. Now, we are supposedly, and I am going to be heading in this direction this morning, we are supposed to be trying to find a balance in that. Because, yes, there's a need for habits. There's a need for structure. There is a need for us to do things that the Bible has told us to do. Whether we understand them or not, we do them because in the end we're going to be better for it. But there's also the balance, especially when you move into the New Testament teaching of the church, that we as the church ought to be being led of God on everything that we do. That I do this because I feel the, the Lord has led me to do this. And so there's the balance of trying to, to find that, you know. We as Christians are very quick to defend the truth. We attend church, we give money, we worship, we pray. But now let me ask you this. How much time do you spend ministering to somebody else? How much time would you spend going to visit somebody or calling somebody or assisting somebody in some way? If somebody had a need like picking up some groceries or bringing me some food or whatever, would you make time for that? And so I, my point is that a lot of us, wouldn't necessarily make time for that. And all you've got to do is look at your schedule to see that. And in that regard, we may be busy doing things that are Christian, but we may not be spiritual because we've ignored the leading of God to do those things that pertain to ministering to other people. And so this is what I'm wanting to talk to you about today. Because I believe that sometimes all of us tend to be too religious 
but not very spiritual. And yes, we are religious when our religious practices are more important than dealing with, loving, being kind or compassionate to people. And we've gotten into the, to the point where we're okay with that. Because, see, if we're okay with that, then we've got a problem. And that's what I'm talking about, about us being religious but not necessarily spiritually minded or spiritually led. Now, you all, if you don't look at yourselves and find that in yourself, I'll guarantee you, you probably know of people that would fall into that category. Have you ever visited a church, for example, where there was good preaching, good teaching, they've, they had a full gamut of Sunday school classes and small groups and all of these things, Bible studies, and all you've got to do is look into the bulletin and see all of the things they've got going for them and the activities that they have at the church. But then you go into the church and nobody talks to you. Nobody cares about you. You go to the hospital, nobody would probably come to see you. Nobody would help you in any way. So then in that regard, you have to conclude, you know what, they're pretty religious people. But they're not necessarily spiritual people. And see, this is kind of the point. Um, I think that there's a balance, like I said before. And as we go through this today, what I, I'm trying to get your, you and myself included here, okay, is to see that there's a balance between our religion and our practices and our habits and things that we do and reaching out to and ministering to and being compassionate to and loving people that sometimes are unlovable, but doing it anyway because we've been led of God to do it rather than ignoring it, stepping out in faith and doing it. And then our religion becomes more balanced, you see in more um, attractive or um, the way in which God would have it to be. Now, let me show you a couple of verses that talk about the balance. I want you to see this, okay? It's in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's just waylaying on the Pharisees like he did all the time. But in this one, he says this. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God, you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Now, this is kind of a confusing verse, but let me explain it to you. The Jews, the Jewish leaders especially, were very meticulous about Old Testament law. And where the Bible talked about tithing, they were very meticulous to give a tenth of everything that they had. And even down to, now watch this, the herbs that grew in their windowsills, they would pinch off a tenth and put it in a bag and they would take it to the temple to be used by the priest or burnt on the altar. But they were very meticulous about doing that. What Jesus is saying is this, you guys have obsessed about giving a tenth of everything to the nth degree and yet you have neglected mere compassion and love for other people. You have not been just or fair or loving to people. And watch what he says, because this is what I want you to see. He's saying, I'm not telling you to leave this one in order to do that one. I'm not telling you to leave the former, in other words, to do the latter. I'm telling you to do them both. 
that, yeah, your giving is important in the tithing according to the Old Testament law that the Jews were under. That was important for them to be obedient. But he says, wait a minute, you need to balance this out because there ought to be in your life the practice of loving people and caring about people and ministering to people and being fair to people. Now, here's another one. Just bear with me here. James 1.27. Look at what James says now. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So what is James saying? Well, James saying, look, if you will talk about being religious, if all you have is just the practice of your religion, then you're not looking at this the right way. He says, because here's the pure religion, the faultless religion that the Lord really wants. And that is this, that yeah, you can do those things, those are important, but you also ought to be taking taking care of those that are in need. Widows and orphans, especially in that society, were in terrible need. So he says, you do these. And he says, and also keep yourself unpolluted from the world. Now there's the personal part of it again. I don't go to, to, to bars, I don't do this, I don't sin, I'm trying to keep myself clean. That's, that's our religious practice. He's saying, I don't want you to leave that. He said, but you've got to add to it. And the only way you're going to do this is through the Spirit of God leading you and, and uh, moving you to minister to people whenever there is a need. So today as we go through this, what I want you to do is this. I want to talk to you about the trap of being religious but not necessarily spiritual. And I want to talk about how to fix it. Now please keep in mind that I am talking today to believers. I'm not talking about the difference between the unbeliever and the believer. I'm talking about believers. Believers that sometimes are very legalistic in their approach to their walk with God and others that are more spiritual in the sense that they listen to what the Spirit of God is leading them to do. And when they listen, what they find is that they are also, in addition to the things that we all Christians should do, they are loving people. They're not neglecting that. You see, this is what I want to urge you not to do. Now let me jump right into this text that I want to show you this morning, okay? In this text, Jesus is walking along, teaching and preaching and healing people, and he comes to the pool of Bethsaida, And beside this pool, there are a lot of sick and crippled and lame and blind people. They're just sitting there waiting because there was a legend that said that when the the waters are stirred by an angel or something, that the first one into the pool gets healed. Now, there's no indication that that ever happened, and Jesus doesn't acknowledge it. As a matter of fact, when he comes, you'll see he just tells the guy basically to get up and walk. You don't have to mess with that. Now, here's a man, been paralyzed for 38 years. He could not walk. Jesus comes up to him. He's talking to him. And in the context of the passage, the man's explaining, I'm waiting on the waters to be stirred. I want to get in, but I can't because nobody will help me in. I'm crippled. Now, in John chapter 5, verses 8 through 13, watch this. Because in verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. All right, can you imagine? Because this is one of those situations where the Bible doesn't give you all the details. But 
just fill in the blanks, okay? Crippled for 38 years, this stranger walks up to him and says, pick up your mat and walk. And he does. He draws a crowd, as you'll see here in a moment, because he is jumping up and down. He's elated. He's Can you believe the excitement on this man's face and in his life? And everybody's just marveling at what's going on. And then it just mentions in passing that the day in which this took place was the Sabbath. Now the story goes on because it says here in verse 10, And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. What? Let me tell you, he says, I've been healed. You don't understand, for 38 years I was crippled, and now I've been healed. No, that doesn't matter. You're carrying your mat on Sabbath. That's against the law. You can't do that. doesn't matter if you've been healed. We have rules around this place. And as our religious practices dictate, you cannot carry a mat on the Sabbath. So put that thing down. Total lunacy, if you think about it. But here he is. And they, he says this in verse 11. Here's his comeback. He says, but, he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Now, the implication is this. Look, if the guy can heal me, I'm going to do what he says, you know. So they asked him in verse 12, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who he was. For Jesus had slipped away in the crowd into the crowd that was there. Man had no idea. He couldn't tell them. He's, you know, he's looking around. He said, well, he's gone. Well, then put that mat down. Quit carrying it on the Sabbath. What's the matter with you? And it goes on down now, a couple of verses later, in verse 16, here's what it says. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Oh, gosh. Now listen, guys. It, the Jewish leaders began to persecute Jesus, to hunt him down and to observe him and to see what he's doing and listen to what he's saying because he's not in conformity to our religious practices. He's over-healing people. You can't do that. Not on the Sabbath. And you think about how blind they are to what's going on. It was a horrible, horrible situation. It was just indicative of the the whole group of Jewish leaders in the land. But this is how they were. You know, we're, we tend to be that way. We really do. We get so blinded by our traditions, our religious practices, things that we do that we lose sight of ministry. We lose sight of what's important and how we are called upon to reach out and to love and be compassionate to people. And we sometimes can't put those two together. Now, let me just say this. Was it wrong for Jesus to be healing on the Sabbath because the Old Testament law said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? Well, there's a lot of other teaching concerning the Sabbath. Jesus really just turned their world upside down when he started teaching because they seemed to miss the whole point. Because, you see, God gave the Sabbath to man. God didn't give man to the Sabbath. And Jesus makes that point later on. He said the Sabbath was given for your benefit so that out of seven days you would have one day of rest. 
And so the whole point of it was that man would rest, and that's the reason God gave it. The Jews had taken it and distorted it. And they had given or issued different guidelines. You couldn't do this, you couldn't do that, far beyond what God ever gave. And one of them was you can't carry anything on the Sabbath, or that is work, and you can't work on the Sabbath. Jesus blew it out of the water. He was healing on the Sabbath. He was doing all kinds of things that the Jews didn't think that he should be doing because he was trying to drive home the point. It's one thing to be religious. It's another thing to be spiritual, and they weren't. And what God really wanted when he gave the law was that you would love people. He even said that. He said, on these two commandments, to love your God and to love other people, on those two things, all of the law hangs. You want to know how to love somebody? Then I gave you the law to tell you how to love people, and you're, not, you're ignoring it. Now, if you looked at the Jews, you'd say, man, they are religious. They were, but they weren't spiritual. How does a person, and this is a question I want to deal with, how does a person get that way? How do we get to that point? How do we become like them, the Pharisees? How do we become so enamored with our religion that we forget about people? Well, I've got a couple of things I want to share with you. I think number one, one of the pitfalls we fall into is this, and that is religious pride. Religious pride. Here's what religious pride looks like. Here's what I mean by it. You know, we, make, we come to a point in our, our walk with the Lord that we begin to become serious about it and we begin to do things we've never done before and we begin to feel so proud of ourselves for doing it and that we become puffed up. And we begin to, we don't say this, but we in so many words do it, you know, look at me. Forty years of ministry and I can tell you a lot of people throughout my years of ministry that that has been their problem, religious pride. We are called upon by God to point people to to the Lord, but instead we want to point people to us. Look at me. Look at what I've done. I can do this. I've done this. What would God do without me? And then all of a sudden, and it never fails, they they begin to look at you. And then they begin to say, why aren't you as good as me? Why aren't you as spiritual as me? Why aren't you as close to the Lord as I am? Why aren't you as serious about your faith as I am? And then they begin to judge you. And then they begin to talk about you. And it happens all the time. See, they'll say, well, you know, I I love the Lord so much. This is why I am so dedicated to my religious beliefs and and, and doing the right thing and honoring God with my life. All of that's great. We've already talked about that. That is a good thing. But then they lose sight of what's really important and the most important, I believe, to what the law was given for to begin with. They don't know how to love people. There's this passage in the Scriptures after... Peter had denied Christ. We've looked at this maybe just a few weeks ago. We looked at this. But Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to the disciples, and, he, and then he nails Peter, okay? He, and three times he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Here's the third time. It's in John 21:16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep, he said. Take care of them. Now, guys, this is important, okay? Listen. Here they are. He's getting ready to send these guys out into the world to turn it upside down. And he asks them this question. Or he, Peter and, he, and everybody's listening. Do you love me? Absolutely, Lord, you know that I love you. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, well, you need to go to church, you need to study your Bible, you need to pray more. Those are all important, and they're taught in other places of Scripture. But when, it, when push came to shove, and he says, if you really love me, then this is what you're going to do, he said, then you're going to love people. And honestly, I believe that this is the priority over and above everything else. But the two go hand in hand. And you can't do one to the exclusion of the other because they're both important. And so it's, it's crazy for us as believers to think, that, okay, if I just do these things, I'll be spiritual and walking with the Lord and, and everything. But our pride is the thing that gets in the way more often than not. And that spiritual pride is very deceptive because we think we're okay. And we've impressed God. But if we are leaving out what he says are the things that matter, compassion, justice, love, taking care of people, if we left those out, then somehow we have distorted our walk with the Lord. So the first thing that I think we trap we fall into is that, that of religious pride. Here's the second thing, and that is that we put rules ahead of people. We put our rules ahead of loving people. When we, don't, we are not very tolerant of people who don't see it our way. Strict obedience to the law and neglecting people, that's the problem. It's called legalism in, in theology. This is, you've heard the term before, but that's basically what it is. You adhere so strongly to these rules that you neglect the important things in life of dealing with people. It's called legalism. The man that carried hit his mat. My goodness. Why couldn't the Jews celebrate with him? No, because he broke their laws. And because of that, they could not show love or compassion. Laws are more important than people. And what you see in the life of Christ is just the opposite. Because Jesus takes the law, and in their opinion, shreds it. But in reality, he wasn't. He was just fulfilling it, the Bible says teaching them the real meaning of it. But he did not put up with that for a moment. You know, he goes through, and you talk about a battle. You talk about arguments. You talk about get everything but cursing. When he attacked those Pharisees time after time after time, it was ugly. Man, he calls them whitewashed sepulchers or graves. He said, you look great on the outside, you stink on the inside. You vipers, he calls them. Why? Because they were living the exact opposite of what he wanted. Now, so many of them weren't believers to start with. They rejected him. But even at that, he's still attacking. And he's still trying to get them to see that the rules that you've set up are getting in the way of loving people. In Matthew chapter 23, here's one of the times where he is attacking them. In verse 24, 
he's talking to the Jewish leaders. He says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. What does that mean? Well, it's basically just a figure of speech. He's trying to get them to see. Now, here's, the, here's where it came from, okay? In the law of Moses, there were clean and unclean animals. Jews were set, commanded by God. You can eat the clean animals that they listed, but you cannot eat the unclean animals. Now, bugs were unclean, and camels were unclean. Now, his problem is that what he's attacking them for is this. He said, you are so obsessed with not eating an unclean animal that you would strain out a gnat. Now, what happened, what he's referring to is this. If a gnat flew into their wine, they would drink it and strain it out with their teeth and pick it out and throw it away because they would not eat an unclean insect according to their law. But then he said, then you turn right around and you swallow a camel. Another unclean animal, but bigger and more obvious. He's saying you're meticulous about the small details that really don't matter. And you're missing the big picture. Why would you do that? Well, because they had put their rules ahead of people. They were letting people die. Letting people remain in poverty. Letting people not be ministered to and letting them go through all the suffering of life, and they were doing nothing. And he said, you have swallowed the camel. You've missed the obvious. See, the law, like I said before, told them how to love people, but yet they obsessed over things like tithing, the Sabbath, clean animals, all these things, and then they ignored loving people. Now, guys, the problem... No, I'm just make, now drawing a, a comparison. See, that's what we do. We do that as believers. We get comfortable in our religion. We do. We get comfortable. We're in a rut, man. You know, we come to church, we put our hands in our pockets, and we don't sing, but we come anyway. You know, we go to prayer and we pray, some of us, but we don't get too serious about it. All of the things we do because that's what we've always been taught and the habit we've gotten into, and we ought to be doing those things, but everything we do ought to be led of God and led of the Spirit, and there is a portion of our lives that's being ignored when God, through His Spirit, speaks and says to you, you need to be loving that person over there. And that person over there needs help. That person over there needs a ride to the store. They need some groceries. They need some money. They need for somebody to come and sit with them because they're sick. They need something, and you're not listening because you have put your rules ahead of people, and you're comfortable. I hope God makes us uncomfortable, all of us. Just make us uncomfortable in our religion. How do we fix it? Very quickly, how do we fix it? Okay, three things. Number one, you need, you've got to be convinced that people are the priority, okay? Some of you aren't convinced. Now, why I'm saying that is because I know that this sermon isn't going to solve the problem. You're still not convinced because you're sitting there making excuses in your mind right now as to why you're not more involved with people. You're making excuses as to why we, I remember that thing that happened a couple of weeks ago and I, I felt, I felt, 
that I should do something, but I just didn't. And you're making excuses for it right now in your mind. You've got to be convinced that what I'm telling you is true and that there is a need for you to become serious about dealing with and ministering to people. And you've got to come to the point where you believe that because if you don't, you'll never do anything. I challenge you to study through the New Testament and look at all the times, either directly or indirectly, that Jesus talked about loving people and how he dealt with people and his love for them, even sinners. You know, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, all of these people, the thief on the cross, everybody that we may not even associate with or allow our families to associate with, Jesus said, you know what, I loved them anyway. And you've got to be convinced of that. Here's the second thing that I would encourage you to do with that is this. You've got to begin to look for the needs that are around you. There's, there are needs out there, folks. You don't have to look far. Um, I think sometimes we are guilty of thinking this in our minds, okay? Yeah, I, I see that need. I hear about that. I hear about Bob Price, for example, needing some help. But somebody's going to take care of that. I, I don't have to be bothered with that. Somebody will call him. Maybe somebody will take him a meal. Maybe somebody will go visit him. But, you know, I don't really need to do that. And so we don't. We keep waiting for somebody else. And there are needs all around us. I would encourage you to begin praying for sensitivity. This is important because, you know what, if we're talking about being sensitive to the Spirit of God, because, and this is the reason I'm pushing this, okay, because the Spirit of God will lead you into ministry. The Spirit of God will prick your heart. The Spirit of God will open your eyes if you're listening. And so... As a Christian, if the Spirit of God is living in you like the Bible tells us that he is, then why not rely on him to direct us? The sensitivity of the Spirit to know that person needs me. Not somebody else, me. And to know that. And when the Spirit of God speaks, just obey. You know, God's not telling you, you shouldn't study the Bible, you shouldn't come to church, you shouldn't tithe. No, he's not telling you that. It's not either or. It's a balance. And that's what we've got to pursue is the balance. Because most of us as believers are terribly out of balance in our religious practices. Here's the third thing very quickly, and that is this. That you seek the Spirit's leading in what to do. In other words, that you're really seeking it. And you're not just praying for the God to make you sensitive, but you're seeking it. And then when you have it, when there's that, that con- convincing thought in your heart that this is what I've got to do, that you don't make excuses and you go forward and you do it. I really believe and I trust that the Spirit of God can lead a church, that the Spirit of God can change us. And he can mature us and he can grow us. But I'll tell you what's going to grow a church, okay? It's not going to be because you get the great preacher in here. It's not going to be because you think up some new idea to attract people. That's not going to do it. Here's what's going to grow this church. Is that when you and I begin to see the importance in obedience to the leading of the Spirit... To love people. 
And when we love people, that's attractive. And I don't mean just loving them when they come in the door. I mean going out and loving them. The places where you go, the places where you shop, the places where you do business, where you go to school, where you work, God's calling you to minister to people. I guarantee you. I'm just asking you to listen and to be obedient. And when people begin to sense your love and your desire to to help them, and when they find out where you go to church, that's where they're going to want to go. You want to grow a church? Then change. You change. You do what God's calling you to do. You be the church that God is calling you to be. You love people. And God will grow a church. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, Father, we are humbled by the reality that you have called us for a mission. It's not just to be religious. It's not just to practice what we've always practiced, Lord, but it's to is to really trust you, to seek your spirit to lead us into ministry, to realize the importance of loving people, sometimes even if they're not lovable, but loving them anyway because you told us to. But Father, as we as your church begin to allow ourselves to be led of you, and we are obedient, and you keep giving us more and and challenging us with more, Father, all of a sudden the entire church changes. And that's our prayer. Father, change us. Change us. Make us loving. Make us compassionate. Make us willing to get up and to do something to help somebody. To listen to somebody's pain and their hurt and to love them and put an arm around them and encourage them. To be there for them if they have questions about the faith. Father, help us to be that kind of person and to allow you to grow the church. Father, because we trust you. We really do. In Jesus' name.